On this episode of the Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast, we'll be talking about the effect of the pandemic on marching and pep bands. Welcome to episode four of the Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast. I'm Galen Perkins, an instructor of creative media production at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro. Joining me this week to talk about the ways we learn in this era are two of my students from the Audio Production 2 class, Sarah Brown and Joshua Pruitt. Guys, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Sarah, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what your interests are in media? Yeah, well, I'm Sarah Brown. I'm a senior here at Arkansas State University, and I'm a psychology major, minoring in creative media production. I'm really interested in studying children's educational media, like television shows and apps, things like that. So I figured that studying media at the undergraduate level, along with psychology, might be the best way to go to actually get a career in that later on in life. So that's my interest in media. Um, I'm from Paragold and just trying to get through COVID era classes. Right. I know we all are. Josh, I'd ask the same question to you. All right. So uh, my name is Joshua Pruitt. Like you said, I'm a junior here at A-State. I'm in the creative media production program with an emphasis in corporate media. I'm originally from Blyville, Arkansas, which is about an hour northeast of Jonesboro. I'd say about like 80% of my classes have been affected due to the the, the pandemic. So, I mean, we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. But as far as what I do in media, I want to go into movies and narrative storytelling and telling stories through TV. It's great stuff. Also joining us for discussion this week is Dr. Stephen Riley, Assistant Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands at Arkansas State University. Dr. Riley, welcome. It's great to be here and thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a bit about your background in teaching? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, so I pretty much started my uh, career uh, in teaching in the Chicago suburbs after earning my bachelor's in music education at the University of Illinois. And I taught high school uh, instrumental music for three years at a little town called Johnsburg, Illinois. Uh, and then after that, I knew I wanted to go back and get my uh, master's degree uh, so I could then return and, and, and get a, a different job uh, and be a high school band director. Well, when I was in Iowa, that, that dream kind of changed a little bit, and I got bit by the collegiate athletics uh, band director bug, if you will. And I decided that, you know, I'll, I'd throw my name in the hat to continue at the University of Iowa in the doctoral program and was fortunate enough to be, uh, you know, to be renewed and accepted into that uh, doctoral level of study. And so uh, <laughs> that was a big risk because, you know, you, you do that in education and it's very easy to price yourself out of a job if you're not successful and collegiate teaching is hyper competitive. So it was a risk, but one that uh, definitely paid off. And uh, from there, I uh, was the director of bands at uh, College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, which is near where I grew up. I've lived all over the country <laughs> uh, and uh, grew up in Massachusetts. So that was a nice little homecoming for me to get back there. Uh, and I helped build a band program at, at College of the Holy Cross. Uh, but I always knew I wanted a, a big collegiate marching band. That's really what I, I, I love. I want to be a director of athletic bands. And fortunately, um, just kind of on a whim, uh, my, the, one of my professors at Iowa said, hey, have you, you know, thought about Arkansas State at all when that job posted? And I said, not really, because I have no family in Arkansas. I'm not from Arkansas. Uh, my wife isn't from Arkansas. 
went to YouTube and I heard a recording of the sound of the natural state and I was sold. Uh, so, you know, I threw all, all my application materials in, in, into the ring and thankfully uh, I was, uh, you know, offered this, this position and I'm since then, that was three years ago, have been privileged ever since to be the director here. Um, outside of music, I love playing retro games. <laughs> uh, you, you know, give me, a, give me an old fashioned Game Boy any day um, and I'll have a blast with that. Uh, we're working on some home improvement projects and also love Craig Head Forest Park here. It's a great place to go walk. And um, as far as percentage of my classes that have been impacted, uh, all of them, <laughs> every single one, marching band, concert band, marching band methods, basketball band, and observing student teachers has all been impacted uh, by our, uh, our our lovely pandemic we've been uh, negotiating over the last year and a half. That actually leads me into my, uh, to my first question. We're talking this week about the effect of the pandemic on music, uh, mm. specifically the way that marching and pet bands are taught. We'll let Sarah go ahead and lead off with the first question that she had. After having had last summer to kind of prepare for the fall, what changes did the music department implement to allow band and other things like choir and the courses and lessons carry on safely? Well, wow. Um, so it was a long waiting game last summer because there was so much unknown about about the pandemic. And uh, one of the greatest things that happened was over the summer, we had a coalition of many different professional music organizations get together and fast track essentially aerosol studies um, that were peer reviewed and you know correctly researched at the University of Colorado and also a duplicate study done at the University of Maryland to help us get some data so we could understand what it was that we were dealing with uh, from an aerosol production and why that might be something that we need to contend with with our instrumental and vocal ensembles. And thankfully we got data over the summer that helped inform that. Um, however, by the time it reached the state levels and the states were able to make um, guidelines to, for us all, especially at state institutions to operate, it was August. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that we, we saw coming down the pipeline was the need for mask wearing and how do you wear a mask while playing an instrument or singing. Um, we put in orders for a lot of our uniform companies. They switched gears because nobody was buying marching band uniforms for a while. So they switched to being mask makers. And we put in an order, but uh, you know that was back ordered forever. Same thing with bell covers. You know, we, we learned through that study that aerosols spread very fast outside of the bells of our instruments, as well as you know, uh, as well as being being vocalists as well. So we knew we had to figure out ways to mitigate wherever possible. Um, and I, I tell you, it, by the time we finally got the Arkansas guidelines, which I was thrilled we did because they also did recognize music groups within them. Um, many st states didn't have that distinction. They didn't, you know, specify, well, what does a band do? You know, like, like, oh, well, at least Arkansas was had right people at the table helping them to make that conversation happen. Uh, but we only had about 10 days before our, our band camp uh, was to, to, to be had. So we decided, you know, toward the end of July to cancel that. And uh, we then wanted to make sure that uh, we limited uh, the amount of students in our classrooms. So we, you know, uh, abided by uh, new classroom regulations. Uh, we also made sure that everybody in the department uh, was wearing a mask if you were in the building. We put in, we also had an aerosol study done of our existing facility and we got air purifiers to help keep um, just air exchange rates going uh, in, at an appropriate level during this pandemic. So that way air wasn't just sitting around. In some of our smaller classrooms, like practice rooms, we had to essentially, you know, have students, you know, play for 30 minutes and then let the room clear for 30 minutes and nobody could be in that room breathing that air until the air exchanges um, had a chance to go through. So we really had to think 
a lot about aerosols and the air exchange rates of our building and essentially become as virtual as possible. Uh, and I know that was definitely challenging for our choir, um, especially with a lot of the national attention on choirs uh, being negative because of what happened in Washington so early on in the pandemic. So I know they definitely had to probably make the most adaptations of anybody uh, to go all virtual for uh, as long as possible. Uh, so it's been, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a learning experience, but definitely one that in some cases brought, brought together some positive things, which I know we'll talk about later, but it's definitely um, put us all on heightened awareness and, and, and uh, created new, new ways of doing things. Very interesting. And it sounds in a lot of respects like you had to almost become an amateur virologist in, in studying <laughs> like aerosol exchange and air purifiers and all that. Well, I tell you, we, we had a, a committee that, uh, that was formed within the department amongst our faculty members and Dr. Sullivan uh, and Dr. Oliver from our uh, bands and choirs, respectively, uh, they were they, they were the scientists of the, of the group, you know, essentially I was the person, uh, you know, saying, okay, here are the, the tools we need, but they were the ones, you know, explaining the science behind why and going through all the different case studies and the, you know, the, the, the data that these that these universities were putting out about their studies and trying to figure out, you know, all this new math and all these symbols I had never seen, you know, they, they looked more like Egyptian hier hieroglyphs, you know, but they were, you know, academic formulas that are used to, to show the, these, um, <laughs> show this stuff. I was never a good at physics or science. So I let them be the scientists. And I said, okay, that means we need bell covers and we will get it. I remember um, MERV 13 fabric was, it is a big deal. It helps, you know, mitigate. It's like medical grade filtration system. And I remember us trying, I remember going to Home Depot to try to find some in the first week of August. And it only went up to like MERV 8 or something like that, what a typical house air filter would be. And I kept asking, like, where do we get this? And everybody's like, yeah, good luck, you know, finding it. But because everybody was already trying to to make new filters for, for, for other people. And we were using that for our bell covers. And uh, we finally got some, but man, it, it, it just, it was interesting. The, the, the questions I never th thought I would be asking, you know, a Home Depot person, <laughs> you know, ever in my life. And there I was like, okay, I, we're trying our best you know, to, 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 to make this all, to make this all work. And I'll go ahead and turn over to uh, Josh with a question that he had. All right. So my question was, do you think that during this time in the pandemic, you're asking more or less of your students. And what's your point of view on how it's affecting their progress in their collegiate career? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a great question, Josh. I think that's a very contextual question based on each student that, that we have. From, a, from an ensemble standpoint, uh, you, it's easy to say that, you know, oh, we're asking less because maybe we didn't, you know, for one of the mitigation strategies we, we, we took with the marching band was not to march a show. Uh, that we would just do standstill performances so that way students aren't literally walking through the air <laughs> that, that somebody else just, you know, through the aerosols that somebody just expelled. So, hey, you know, marching man's easier. And I'm, so I'm going to be asking less of you. But at the same time, I was also, you know, on the flip side of that coin, asking them to embrace an activity that they've loved and committed so much of their high school and collegiate careers to. And that experience was so meaningful to them that I was asking them to essentially get rid of a major part of that component, which is the experience of performing a field show on the football field for an audience. Um, and, and that was something that was, you know, unfortunately hard for a lot of our students to, uh, to adapt to, you know, I mean, they did. And they, you know, I'm so proud of our students who uh, marched with us last year. And as I said, at, at, toward the end of our season, that I, I owe them so much uh, because of 
the experience that, that they got. You know, I mean, it was it wasn't what it should have been, and it definitely wasn't the traditional way of doing things. Currently, teaching uh, again, I'm asking very similarly that you know we we just adapt. And uh, for me, I'm trying to be as uh, empathetic as possible to their experience, and wherever can, wherever I can, uh, meet them where they're, they're at. So in the cases, you know, and I know I'm not the only person who's doing this uh, on the faculty, but, um, you know, if, if a student needs help, all they have to do is ask. And we'll talk about renegotiating deadlines. We'll talk about um, giving extensions. We'll talk about, okay, let's have you come at a different time for this uh, rehearsal. Um, or just, hey, you know what? You're dealing with a lot right now. That is all okay. We will see you at the next class. Not a big deal. So that's definitely uh, what I kind of how I'm trying to, to approach it. But as far as how I'm how I think it's affecting their progress, uh, I think it definitely is changing their experience. You know, for some, it, it's definitely slowing the progress down a bit. You know, and for others, it's just giving them something that they weren't anticipating. It's just been interesting to see how each student has has adapted. I think I'd like to follow that up with asking another question that uh, Josh submitted. And I'm, I'm curious about this as well. How has that, how has the pandemic changed your perspective towards teaching? Um, I know that for me, it's been a huge shift in the work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes feel that the line between those two is extremely blurred. And I'm not sure if it's ever going to go back to <laughs> the before times um, as it relates to interaction and response times with students. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I think as, as educators, it's been very difficult for us, especially because we want to be there for our students. We want to help them wherever we can with their lives. But in so doing, oftentimes as, for us as educators, we have no time then. It's like, so we're constantly, you know, thinking we might have time, but that's exactly when that student, you know, submitted the, the extension. And it was like, okay, now I've got to get feedback with them um, in a time that I wasn't expecting that at, at that moment. But because I'm being a little bit more free with how I approach um, students, their deadlines, and what they can and can't do uh, to, 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 to achieve, you know, success in the class. That has definitely blurred my lines here at home. Uh, you know, uh, that, that, that's for sure. You know, my, my my office is, you know, you know, I, I I put a bed in there at one point because I was up late, you know, grading papers uh, this fall uh, in my office. And my right now I'm here at my dining room table, you know, <laughs> giving this, you know, participating in this podcast. So you know, just knowing that what used to be the place where I had my meals is also now slightly a home office, and that's kind of bled across the uh, the, the entire. Uh, the entire home life. And just as a follow-up to that, as far as it goes with empathizing with students, do you feel that you're empathizing more with students now than you possibly had been in the past, considering all the things that are going on? Is that a skill you had to develop? Or were you, I guess, pretty even-keeled about that uh, pre-pandemic? I, I felt I was definitely more even-keeled than, than a lot of people uh, in, in regard to empathy. That being said, I cannot put myself in, in a lot of my students' shoes. You know, they are, they, beyond the pandemic, they are more than just college students. You know, some are, you know, also part-time workers. They're, they're caretakers of family members as well, especially because of the pandemic. They, they were forced into that. Um, some of my students had, you know, ha had to deal with the, 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 the side effects and some pretty severe ones of, of COVID. And that's something, fortunately, I didn't have to deal with, you know, knock on wood, at least I was unaware uh, if I was dealing with them at all. So knowing that they've gone through an experience that, you know, I can't <laughs> uh, even begin to think what that might have been like for them uh, and the other pressures that are, you know, whether it be their home life, their work life um, and their family life, just I 
there are a lot of pressures that I can't empathize with or I can't relate to. So therefore, I'm being more empathetic, I think, with some students than others uh, because of, of their experience. And before we go into our roundtable session, I think I'll, I'll kind of follow up with yet another follow up. Yeah. Um, how does that contrast? I know that it, it definitely contrasts differently for when I was in school, but how how is that contrast between being a student now and being a student when you or we were in school? Like the thought of having, I, I had a full-time job while I was in school, but I it was the bare minimum of a full-time job. <laughs> and I see so many students dealing with a full-time job in the 40-hour-a-week sense, and sometimes two jobs, and balancing 15 to 18 hours of classwork, and balancing a global pandemic. I know that that, in that sense, this is completely new territory for all of us, but did you have any sort of similar struggles when you were going through your collegiate studies? I am privileged and fortunate to say that I, I didn't. You know, you know, and that's again just a testament to the experience that that I lived. And not saying that that's better or worse than what's going on. It's just that I had a a, a more traditional experience than than others. You know, I went off to a four year institution. Um, I went out of state, so I was definitely not not from around there. But at the same time. I didn't have to pick up a job. Um, I had scholarship monies and other things helping me along. Uh, and so I was able to be a full-time student uh, for four years, which was fantastic. When I went, went to master's and doctorate, same thing. I you know, you know, just went the student loan route and said, this will work and just you know, kind of hoped and uh, worked very hard to make sure that indeed it did pay off. Um, so I, I've been fortunate and you know, that, that's definitely privilege speaking a, a lot of that. Um, however, I was really, glad that I started my career at College of the Holy Cross in collegiate teaching because so much of what their um, what, what that Jesuit teaching mindset was was being men and women for others for and with others and so the idea of empathy and social justice and opening my opening kind of my educational thoughts and philosophies to embrace a lot of those concepts and and, uh, and axioms was, fantastic uh, because I think when I got to Arkansas State and realized that most of my students here don't drive the Mercedes-Benz or you know whatever that, that Holy Cross students would drive, but was actually really the, the real stuff we were talking about and, and, and our students were, were engaging in student life and philanthropy and outreach and social justice initiatives and things like a lot of that, my students were actually living on the other side of that. And because of that, I think I was able to understand uh, a bit more and definitely be op more open to empathy with with students you know adding to your list there galen i have a couple of students who are also parents <laughs> and uh i can't imagine <laughs> what right. that must be like you know in addition to everything else you listed off so let's go ahead and go into the uh into the round table segment uh dr riley uh what kind of positive and negative effects did you pull out of this whole experience uh, so <laughs> I would say from a more broad sense, the idea that we as a community are much more health conscious and health aware. Uh, and I think that's just been a fantastic addition to our arsenal as humans, you know, and how to engage with each other. Uh, that hand washing is so important. You know, I don't think I've washed my hands more than more any other time in the last year and a half. And um, I'm glad I'm glad for that. You know, uh, the fact that I haven't been sick at all in a year and a half is unusual. You know, that's, uh, you know, just something that uh, is quite, quite unique. Uh, and then one other positive effects, I'd say that because we're all health aware, what I was talking about at the beginning, you know, having that coalition of professional organizations coming together 
to figure out something new that that impacts us all. So when we had high school music groups, high school scholastic institutions coming together, our college band uh, professional groups were coming together, the National Band Association, our military bands came together to, to essentially fund these projects that um, have made us much more health aware uh, in, in our profession. I'd say that as far as some positive effects from the pandemic. I mean, I can't think of too many positive positive things. I like the point that uh, Dr. Riley made there about how we've become a little more health aware. I mean, I walk into what little in-person classes that I do have now and I'll grab a clinic or whatever whatever they're called and I'll, I'll wipe down my computers and, and my desk and everything before I sit down. And I'll, I'll try to remember to do that again before I leave so that the next person that comes behind me isn't getting my germs or whatever all over them. But one of the biggest positives for me is I'm not having to pay on my uh, student loans right now. Right. Exactly, Josh. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, can, I can relate to that. For me, I think the biggest positive has to do with the fact that I'm a commuter student and I drive to campus every day from Paragould. And when the pandemic started and then last fall, I wasn't having to come to campus at all. So that saves me like an hour every day. And with everything I have to do, that has helped a lot. And this semester, I'm having to come about every other day. So every other day, I'm saving an hour there. And I have to write a thesis this semester. So that extra hour every other day has been really helpful. So that's, that's probably the biggest positive for me. And then what sort of uh, negative effects have you seen, um, everybody seen as part of this process? I'll say that I, I originally wrote down uh, a, a positive effect being that I know a lot of people were originally at the start, a lot of people were saying, these are there are a lot of jobs that can be done from home that we didn't realize before. So I think a big argument was that people got to spend more time with their families or, or just be around their house more often. But for me, just being cooped up in a, a dorm room and everything, and, and you guys were talking about work-life balance earlier as well. It's, I, I don't like that. I like differentiating between those two areas of my life. When I'm, when I'm working at home, you know, I, I want to scroll on my phone or my TV wants to be watched or I got to open the fridge five times an hour to see that nothing in there has, has changed. But I, I don't, I don't like sitting around my house working. I'm not motivated to do work. I like physically going somewhere and being productive for the day and then coming back to my apartment and just setting down and getting whatever else I have to get done here. Right. There's not really that clear delineation. I know like, so you take like in an HGTV sense that how everybody in the past wanted open floor plans for everything. And now it seems like we're, we're kind of craving that compartmentalization into different areas of not only our house, but also into um, our life to where like this, this is work this is life and everything right now just seems to be blurred as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, you know, I know that we bought an open floor plan house and uh, it's just, it's hard to tell where the living room ends and the, and the office begins sometimes. But uh, you know, I think for, for me, it's been the, the, the negative effect has been the lack, lack of personal interactions with students or a reduced, you know, interaction with my students. You know, they, they teach me so much every time that, that I'm in class with them, whether it be with ensembles, uh, whether it be in our, our methods courses for our music education folks. But uh, the thing that I think I missed the most the last spring semester, and thankfully it's st you know still kind of part of it, but definitely I've been able to get out more, um, 
is the ability to watch student teachers teach and to offer just some, you know, insight into, into feedback into how they can grow as educators at this last kind of part of their collegiate career before they become professionals in, in the workforce. And that part is so fun and um, inspiring to watch. And I get to do that this semester, thankfully. I've got five student teachers that are out right now in the field doing wonderful jobs. And uh, I missed that last year because we had to shut it all down. And, and so did the public schools. And so unfortunately, I, I got to, I had to miss out on, on a few of our, of our teachers growing in, the, in that capacity. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the uh, <laughs> uh, to, to the the light at the end of the tunnel, and I, I believe it is coming here pretty you know in the next few months, and hopefully we can get back to uh, as I I like to put it a more traditional way of doing things. So I don't think it'll ever be the same like we we knew it before, but more traditional. And for Josh and Sarah, um, this might be a potential negative, but how has that interaction been for you two, kind of between the mentor student interaction? Do you feel like that has uh, been the same? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? And uh, what would you suggest in ways that we can improve that? I'll say that one big negative effect in that realm is kind of the way that classes are structured at the moment. I was talking to one of my professors the other day, and he was telling me about how hard it is to teach somebody Photoshop over Zoom. And I was, I was, it kind of got me thinking, you know, it's also not really fair for the classes that are split up because some of my classes are split like one half of the section or like we'll split into sections and one half of the class will come on this day of the week. The other class will go on this day of the week. And then when you're not in class, you're watching a lecture or whatever over Zoom and you're not learning the same things in each session either. Like on Tuesday, you might just be going over a lecture or a PowerPoint or something. And that, that's kind of easy to follow along. And then on Thursday, you might be doing something in a piece of software that you've not really, you're not really familiar with. And it's hard for him to teach the people that are online as compared to the students that are in class with them. So it's not really fair for everybody either. But that, that's kind of the, in that realm, some of the things that I've personally experienced and Sarah, what's been your experience with that? I never realized how important it was for students and professors to be able to be in the same room at the same time, actually having class. Like having just video lectures to watch has been convenient because you can watch those whenever, you know, whenever you are available. But as you're watching those lectures, as questions come up, you can't just get an immediate answer you gotta type out an email and then wait however long it takes to get a response because everybody's busy so we can't all communicate with each other right when we need communication so that's been it's been more complicated than i would have expected it to be and then like i said before i'm trying to write a thesis during a pandemic so it's been really hard for me and my thesis advisor to communicate because we used to do weekly meetings I would go to his office and we would talk for an hour about whatever it was we had going on and now it's just, we're so busy it's hard to find a time to meet over zoom and actually have a good conversation so my biggest thing is just missing being able to actually be in person with people well, I think I already know the answer to this, but I'll just go ahead and pull the group, Dr. Riley included. If given the opportunity in the future, would you see yourself trending 
more towards this sort of virtual and online method of instruction? Or would you see yourself trending more towards the traditional brick and mortar face-to-face type uh, method of study? Definitely back in class. I mean, honestly, if, it, if there was a completely safe way to do it, because I do understand the, the dilemma and the problems there, but I could I could easily just go back to class right now. I mean, I, I hate there. There are so many reasons I hate not being able to do that. I definitely can't wait to get back in the classroom uh, and and be able to interact, you know, face to face, less than six feet away from a student uh, to, to to speak. You know, something that I'm very passionate about, and to hopefully uh, help help them develop the tools they'll need to be uh, successful in this career. That's something that I'm really looking forward to doing that more. Uh, in person in a classroom and yeah yeah post covid i definitely want to be back in the classroom i kind of already knew i didn't like online classes because when i was a freshman i took some and it just wasn't it's not the same to be learning online it's it's better for me to be in person and i think uh we'll go ahead and let sarah have the last question that she sent in go ahead sarah okay Um, So I want to know what sorts of modifications, if any, do you expect to have to implement with the band or in the music department over the summer and into the fall of this year? Well, Sarah, that's definitely a a, um, moving target still, one that I'm hoping is trending in a positive direction. Um, The one thing I I really do hope that we can get away from, but I'm not sure if we'll be there yet, are uh, limiting the, the masks and bell cover need. Uh, for our for our students um, while they're pl- playing and performing their instruments, whether that be vocal or or, or instrumental, we d- we just don't have the data yet to, or the guidelines yet to suggest that we can do that safely. But again, I'm you know I'm very very optimistic that Arkansas as a state will put in guidelines specific to uh, music ensembles, voice, choir, high school level. Um, and at the university level to help us in making that decision uh, so that way we're in alignment with what the um, Arkansas Department of Health is uh, requesting of us. Uh, but I'm hoping that masks and bell covers can be a thing of the past, if not some one, you know, some element or combination, but not all three of social distancing, uh, bell covers and masks. I just hope that at least one of those <laughs> gets to go away next year. Um, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see what, what the, the future brings. Just a final follow-up question to that one. Would you like to set, I guess, the, the over-under on when you think that sort of decision might be left to the individual institutions versus the state? Like what, uh, what point in the progression of herd immunity or just uh, eradication of the virus would you think that we would need to be at to where we wouldn't have to wear uh, masks with slits in them uh, for woodwind players and uh, bell covers for brass players? Ooh, that's a that's a risky question to answer for sure. But <laughs> if I had a if, if I, I I don't gamble, but. You know, if I was in Vegas, I would hope that by July we would have some confidence in saying, "Here's what we're doing." I'm just really hopeful because you know we've already promoted that we are doing band camp, and we, as a fac- band's faculty, have said that we are bringing everybody back early. Like this is what we want to do, and um, you know, so long as we get the green light from ADH uh, to do so, you know, or the guidelines are lifted where we don't have to worry about it, at least we can be together to help. You know prepare field shows for pregame and halftime again, because uh, that's something that 
is part of our experience that just no other ensemble can provide and that students really love. So I'm hoping that we can bring that back for our students um, sooner rather than later. I know that both of our students have podcasts and guys, would you like to go ahead and uh, plug those for upcoming episodes that you might be working on? Uh, Sure. So I host a podcast called Conspiracy Mind. It's a show where we have a discussion about a different conspiracy theory in each episode. I have I typically have some of the same guests on with me, but every now and then we we switch it up. The next episode is going to be about out on Friday, which is about the Loch Ness monster. So, yeah, you can find that on Spotify or, or wherever you want to listen to podcasts at. And I host uh, Hot Takes with a Music Lover. So if you like music and you like hot takes and controversy, that's the podcast for you. I talk about my thoughts and opinions on some of music's biggest issues controversies and all kinds of good stuff. I just recently did an episode on music's biggest conspiracies. I talked about Michael Jackson, John Lennon, and Kurt Cobain, and I am currently working on research for an episode about radio. So, yeah. Great stuff. And Dr. Riley, are there any upcoming uh, athletic band events that you would like to promote? Uh, yeah, actually, we, we just got uh, word that on April 17th, uh, that is going to be the spring football game for our new football uh, team for next year with uh, our new coach, Butch Jones, at the helm. And so the Sound of the Natural State will be there. And we are excited to get to perform again in our stands. Uh, we likely will still be masked and bell covered still, but it's just a nice way to help get our um, get the future looking forward and get having our new students join us and our, especially our new leaders start to, to take, take helm of the ensemble. So um, I can't wait for that. It will just be a, a wonderful uh, performance and a great way to see how our football team is shaping up for what will be a, I'm sure an eventful fall. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. Well, everyone, thank you for joining me today and special thanks to Dr. Riley for joining us also. Thank you again for the invitation. It was my pleasure. Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast is produced in association with the Audio Production 2 class at the School of Media and Journalism at Arkansas State University. To listen to complete episodes, follow us on anchor.fm slash pandemicpedagogy or listen on your favorite streaming service. And as always, keep learning. Keep learning.